This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 5, if you would, uh, because I don't want to uh, jump into a new study just yet, especially since we're going to have to take a break uh, for Vision Night, um, call this a little mini-series uh, that I've entitled Salvation, Finding Hope and Assurance in Jesus Christ. We're going to take a look if, at this, if you will. If you want to call this little mini-study that we're doing a study on soteriology, I wouldn't be upset about that. Soteriology is the study of salvation. And so if you want to do a little bit of a deeper dig this week on some uh, soteriological uh, items, you feel free to do that. And so we're taking a look in this little mini-series about what is salvation, how do we know we can have it, is it something that we can lose, how can we be sure that we can keep it, how do we even know for sure that we can be saved. And so uh, have your Bible ready, we're going to be flipping through several different passages of Scripture tonight, and I'm going to encourage you tonight. Tonight's a little bit more of a teaching message as opposed to preaching. Uh, This morning was like, here's what the Bible says, you need to fall in line with it. Tonight is, I want to understand the Bible better. I want to be able to know the Bible so that I can share the Bible with other people. And so uh, when we talk about things like salvation and sharing our faith, is one of the most important things in the world that we can do. And so uh, that's what we're taking a look at at tonight. So I want to encourage you with this, have your Bible ready and make lots of notes in your Bible. Uh, If you don't if you're not in the habit of writing your Bible, I'd encourage you to write in it. As, as a kid, my mom always told me, don't ever write the Bible, it's God's word, it's holy. I think what she didn't want me doing was drawing pictures like me and my friends would do in church. Uh, it's not the idea that we can't write in the Bible. You should write notes in your Bible, you should circle, star, underline, uh, do things to draw attention to, to God's word. Um, and, and again, I would encourage you to write in your Bible. I'm nervous when I see somebody who has a pristine, uh, uh, crystal white Bible that's never been touched or or written in. Uh, You should have a well-used Bible. And so I want to encourage you to do that. So a lot of the times tonight, especially, I'm going to ask you to turn to passages of Scripture because I want you to make notes in your Bible of the things that we're going to cover because it's really important. As we talk about salvation, one of the most important things that you and I can pass along to other people is how they can know for sure when they die they're on their way to heaven. It's how they can know for sure that they are right with God, that their sin debt has been paid, that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And so that's what we're taking a look at in this uh, lesson here tonight and also uh, the following Sunday night uh, as well. So I want to encourage you to take some really, really good notes as we go through this. First John chapter 5, uh, we're going to start in verse number 9. And if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified in his Son. In other words, if we're going to hear what somebody has to say, let's hear what God has to say. And he's spoken to us through his Son. Verse number 10, you should circle this verse here. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believed not on the record that God gave of his Son. Now, this is really important. If you don't believe what the Bible says, you are calling God a liar. Now, again, for us as Bible-believing Christians, the Bible is the Word of God. It's not the thoughts of God. It's not God's ideas or a, a good guidebook for life. It is the Word of God. 
And if you and I cannot trust the word of God, we have no leg to stand on. We have no foundation whatsoever. So our trust in the word of God is paramount. And again, John's saying here, if you don't believe what God has said by speaking to us through his word and his son, you're calling God a liar. Verse number 11, and this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life, and this life is in his son. So again, eternal life is available. How? Through his son. Now again, if you say there's eternal life available elsewhere, other places, back up one verse, you're calling God a liar. God says eternal life is available, and it's only available through his son. Verse number 12, again, black and white, ridiculously clear. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now, John is repeating himself here because he's already said this in John, the Gospel of John, which is a different book written by the same author. Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse number 36, because he says this in John 3, 36. He who hath the Son hath life. He who hath not the Son hath not life. And he goes one step further and says, and the wrath of God abides on him. So again, Jesus gives eternal life. Without Jesus Christ, we do not have eternal life, and we only have God's punishment. Verse number 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So here we see in verse number 13, verse number 13 is one of those verses you should circle, start, underline in your Bible. Um, for me, I was... Um, I grew up in church my whole life uh, in a, a Southern Baptist church, which was very similar to our church doctrinally from as far as what we believe is true from the Bible, exactly the same. From a philosophical standpoint, how we walk that out, how that makes a difference in our life Monday through Friday, what that looks like in our high school classroom, what that looks like in the workplace, absolutely, totally different. Uh, the type of church that I grew up in, you know the Bible you stay away from big sins. You don't embarrass anybody or embarrass your family. If you're going to sin, make sure it gets covered up and nobody ever sees it. Uh, and try to appear like you've got it all together. It's kind of the church that I grew up in. But we said that we believe these things from the Bible. I'd never in my entire life seen, any, seen anyone from ages 0 to 18 in my life, that growing up in church, ever anyone other than over the age of 18 ever be saved. There's always kids who got saved, 9, 10, 11 years old, put their faith and trust in Christ, who get baptized. I never saw an adult get saved. And so this idea, again, of reaching the world with the gospel was a foreign concept to me. I didn't know anybody who didn't know the gospel. I didn't know anybody who, you know, had never heard of what Jesus Christ had done for them. And so joined the military right out of high school and got stationed in Pensacola, Florida, and then got stationed here in Hawaii and um, and. God began to do a work in my, my, my life and my wife's life, and we began to walk with Jesus. And <clears throat> there's a young couple that had been coming to the church that we were at at the time, and uh, they'd been talking with the pastor about knowing for sure that heaven was their home and their salvation. And the pastor asked me and Angela if we would go by uh, their house on a Thursday night and share the gospel with them. He said, this couple is ready to get saved. All you got to do is go over there and share the message. And let me just tell you, I said, okay, we'll go. 
absolutely terrified. When they, they lived over in Pearl Highlands. I could take you to the apartment that they were in. That's how, how well I remember this night. We went over there. Name were Mark and Susie, and we sat and talked with them for a while. Mark was a, a former Army pilot. He had gotten out and was now an airline pilot. And his wife Susie, uh, they had two kids, and his wife Susie was a, a photographer on the side and things like that. And <laughs> they had two smaller kids. And we talked about parenting. Uh, we talked about military life. We talked about flying. Uh, we talked about what types of aircraft he liked to fly. How he made the transition from military life to civilian life. And then I talked to his wife, and I talked to her about the types of things she likes to take pictures of, and what types of cameras she uses, and uh, what's the advantage of a Canon over a Nikon. Uh, what type of lens is your favorite lens to shoot with? Uh, what lens would you use in a situation like this? And we talked, no lie, until like 10 o'clock, and I am just absolutely sweating bullets over here. I don't know how to have that conversation with them. I don't know how to bring up what happens when you die. I don't know how to ask them if you died today, are you sure you're going to heaven? Because the words just wouldn't come out. And finally, they were just like, hey, guys, it's super late. We hate to kick you guys out, but like we're tired and our kids need to go to bed. It's like, yeah, that's probably best. And so we left. Never once ever talked about spiritual things at all. And then uh, they come back to church the next Sunday, and um, at the end of the service, they walk up to the pastor and said, hey, can somebody tell us how to get saved? Because I don't think those people told us the other night. And so the pastor was gracious, he was kind, and he gave us one last opportunity. He said, would you just take them back? Don't ask any questions, just tell them how to be saved. Okay, great. And so we went in a Sunday school classroom and opened the Bible, and I took Mark and Susie through the gospel, explained to them the gospel, and Mark and Susie Hansen got saved that Sunday morning. Super cool story. That would have been probably, at this point now, 21 years ago, about five years ago, uh, they moved back to the mainland shortly after they got saved. About five years ago, Mark and Susie came to Hui Collin and sat on the front row at one of our services when we were over there. Super cool to just kind of see the whole thing come full circle. But I determined at that point, I'm never going to look like an idiot like that again. I want to know how to share my faith. I want to know how to share the gospel with somebody. I don't want to sit and talk circles around things when people are going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. I want to know how to share my faith. And so, man, I didn't know a lot of things. And so I went to the Christian bookstore, bought a bunch of books on sharing the gospel and what is the gospel and things like that. And just began to, to study and learn. Uh, went to, my, Angela and I then went to California to go to a Bible college where the, one of the first things they teach is how to lead somebody to Christ. <clears throat> and we were together on a Saturday morning on uh, outreach. We got a map, went by, talked to this guy, opened the door, his name was Jose. And we began to talk to Jose, and uh, I said, Jose, I'd like to invite you to our church. He's like, I don't live here, this is my mom's house, I'm just visiting. Oh, what brought you by? I just got out of prison. Oh, that's nice. Um, and, and again, like, I'm not gonna say, tell me what prison was like, man. And so as we're standing there, there's nothing really left to talk about. And I said, uh, well, Jose, I said, um, if you die today, are you sure you go to heaven? And he said, I'm not. He goes, but, you know, there's a bunch of religious guys in prison the whole time. I didn't really see what the whole appeal was. He said, why is it such a big deal to you? And I thought to myself, this guy just wants to talk about my faith. And I thought, man. And so he and I began to talk, and we went through this, and after about 30 minutes or so, Jose at his front door, at his mom's front door, trusted Christ as Savior. And I thought to myself, like, this is awesome. Like, people need to know the gospel. We can share the gospel. And no life. From that point forward, I thought to myself, I want to become as good as I can possibly be at sharing my faith with other people. 
look, when it comes to churches, churches can differ on things. People might come to our church service and say, man, your music was terrible. It was so, uh, you know, old-fashioned, and you guys sung hymns. Uh, they sing in my grandma's church. You might not like our music. That's fine. Uh, people might come here and go, their music is so progressive. They had a guy on the platform that was banging a drum as people sang, like so progressive and out there. That's fine. We can agree to disagree on things like that and still be friends. But when you begin to mess with the gospel, we can't just agree to disagree. When you say there's other ways to heaven other than Jesus, we can't just say, oh, brother, we see things differently. We have to say you are a heretic. We can't say things like, well, maybe you'll get the Holy Spirit one day. No, if you say that I don't have the Holy Spirit, we're not brothers in Christ. We're at odds with one another when it comes to this. And this is a critical word for us to understand because we're at odds when it comes to doctrine. Doctrine is the glue that holds the church together. It's what we agree on to be so from the Bible. And we have to agree on doctrine. Why are there a thousand different types of churches in any given city? Because of doctrine. Why are there 18 different types of Baptist churches on the island of Oahu? It all comes back to Bible doctrine. What do we believe about the Bible to be so? Somebody one time said to me, so we, you, we can't be so arrogant to believe that we have everything right from the Bible. And I said, tell me where we're wrong. I'm like, because if we're wrong, I want to fix it. Because we have to be gun barrel straight when it comes to doctrine. Because we're talking about whether people go to heaven or whether they go to hell for eternity. We can't afford to be wrong on that. We can't afford to be unclear or muddy the waters. If you've been who we call it for any length of time, you'll know every single Sunday, you're gonna hear the gospel. Somewhere, whether it fits in the, the message or not, at some point we're gonna come back around to, here's how you can know for sure your sins are forgiven in heaven as your home. Because if you come here and you think, you hear a message like this morning, like, I need to walk in the spirit, I think that means I just need to try harder and do better, and you leave without ever being saved or hearing the gospel, you might live a good life, but you're going to split hell wide open. That's a problem. So I don't want anybody to ever come to our church and think, oh, I just need to pray more, I just need to do more, or, or try harder. I want them to realize I need Jesus. And so over the course of sharing my faith with people over these last two decades or so, I had, a, man, literally thousands of conversations with people about their faith and what happens when they die and things along those lines. We'll have an evangelism training course available this, uh, this coming spring, I think March time frame. We call it Sharing Jesus. It's a Saturday where we take about eight hours and teach you how to share your faith better. But in talking with people, sometimes they'll, I'll say, hey, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And sometimes they'll say, can anybody really know for sure that we're going to heaven? That's an, a great answer that helps me understand where they're coming from. But the answer to that question is absolutely yes. We, we just saw it, First John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not think so, hope so, possibly one day we'll get there. Again, this typically comes from a, a Catholic mindset, that from the Catholic mindset, we're going to do everything that we can on our end and hope for the best when life is over. Uh, one of the, the, the popes I saw uh, ha, has died this past weekend. For those of you that haven't been through this before, when a pope dies, they're going to get together and have this big, huge funeral service. They're going to light a ton of candles, and then they're going to pray that God will have mercy on his soul. 
and they're going to pray that God will receive his soul into heaven. And they're going to pray, and they're going to give money, and they're going to light candles, and hope for the best. Friend, that's not the type of hope that we see in the Bible. That's no hope at all. And let me just tell you this. If a pope is, is we're going to have to hope that he makes it into heaven, you and I don't have a shot. If when Mother Teresa died, they prayed that God would have mercy on the, her soul, you and I haven't begun to touch the, the kindness showed by someone like a Mother Teresa. Unless it's not really about the works that we've done and it's really just all about the grace of God, then we're having a different conversation then. But I always bring people to 1 John 5, 13. Can we know for sure that we have eternal life? The answer is yes. God wants us to be certain of our salvation. This is not ambiguous. It's not unclear. It's not, uh, can you really know? And again, when I, when I talk with people about their faith, hey, are you 100% sure if you die today you're going to heaven? Sometimes people say yes, and the follow-on question is always, how do you know? And there's only one right answer to that. And the right answer is, I've received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I've been born again. That's the only acceptable answer. But sometimes people say, I know for sure I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person or because, you know, I I grew up in church or I'm going to heaven because I was baptized when I was a teenager. Uh, All of these are questions or, or all these are answers that require a little bit more investigation. Do you believe that your baptism is going to take you to heaven? Do you believe that the church that you're a member of will take you to heaven? God wants us to be certain for sure, but he wants our certainty not to rest in anything that we've done, but our certainty must rest in the finished work of Christ. When we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the good news of the salvation through Jesus Christ. The word gospel literally means good news or good tidings. It's a Greek word, uh, euangelion. We we talked about this in the, the Christmas story in Luke where the angel said they bring good tidings of great joy. That word good tidings, Greek word euangelion, which literally means gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus saves sinners. If you have one of our gospel tracks that we have in the, the back rack, you should have these everywhere you go. You should be armed with the gospel tracks. On the back, five truths that point us to salvation. First of all, God loves you. Second of all, you've sinned against the holy God. Third of all, there's consequences for your sin, which is death and hell. Fourth, Jesus paid the price for you. Fifth, you must put your faith and trust in Jesus alone to save you from your sin. That's kind of a nutshell of the gospel. It leads us through some verses in Romans. Sometimes we refer to that as the Romans road. Again, because I'm always trying to get new ideas and reading books on how to share the gospel better. One uh, author put it this way, that it's God, man, Jesus response. God is perfect and holy and without sin. You and I have sinned against the holy God and that requires God's punishment and judgment. But Jesus came to pay the penalty of our sin to save us from our sin. But you must make a choice for yourself. God, man, Jesus response. It doesn't really matter to me how you divide it up as long as you get it in there that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that can save us from our sins. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1. Turn over there in your Bible if you would. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Again, I want you to turn there in your Bible. You might have it in your notes. Don't cheat. Uh, I want you to, to actually make note of this in your Bible. Because again, here's my hope for you is that you'll be able to sit down with a friend one time and say, hey, let me share with you with this, this verse that, that I found in, in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number one. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. Really important, we don't have time to dissect this whole cha- passage tonight, but in those first few verses he says here, this gospel should give you assurance. This is where you stand. This is where your feet are planted. This is the foundation of everything that we believe, the gospel here. Verse number two, this is the only way that one can be saved through the truth of the gospel. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, lest you believed in vain. Verse three, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel in a nutshell that Paul writes here to the church at Corinth. Hey, this is the truth wherein you stand. This is how you were saved, that Jesus died for sinners and he rose again the third day. This is just... As simple as the gospel can get, Jesus died for sinners. So again, we need to know how to share our faith with people. We want to give people assurance of their salvation. Maybe you're sitting here tonight going, I'm not really sure if I'm saved or not. Good. By the end of this message, you should know whether or not that you're saved and what you should do with that. Because when it comes down to it again, the the idea of God, man, Jesus response, you have to make a decision for yourself. I wish I could make the decision for you. There are people that I know and love that are not saved, that have rejected Jesus. I wish I could believe for them, but I can't. They have to make a decision for themselves. Salvation requires two things from you and two things only, faith and repentance. If you add anything to this recipe, it will fail. I have to believe in Jesus I have to repent of my sin, and then I have to get baptized. You just ruined the whole thing. The only thing that is necessary from you is faith and repentance. Now, faith in what? I'm glad you asked. Turn over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, again, if you're taking notes in your Bible and you should, circle verses 9, 10, and 13. So faith in what? Number nine, uh, verse number nine. Romans chapter 10, verse number nine. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now again, this is not faith that I believe that Jesus is a historical figure who lived. This is not belief that uh, Jesus came and died for people's sins. The Bible says that the devils believe and tremble. Satan knows that Jesus Christ is a real historical person. It didn't save him. But notice what it says. If you confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That word Lord is in caps in your Bible. The L is in caps. What that means is Jesus Christ is master. He's the boss. He calls the shots. It's a confession of submission. I'm putting myself under the authority of Jesus. I'm confessing that Jesus Christ is my master and I am his slave and servant. 
That's why sometimes we'll say, has there been a time in your life where you have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior? It's interesting, a lot of people want a Savior. Nobody wants to go to hell, but many times people don't want a Lord. They don't want to put Jesus Christ first in their life. And so again, when I share the gospel on Sundays, I'll say, you have to believe with every fiber of your being. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. Because again, we saw in 1 John chapter 5, if we don't believe those things, we're calling God a liar. I have to believe those things. It's critical. I have to believe that he's the only way to heaven. And I have to be willing to confess my sin and repent of it to be saved. That's what it means to confess the Lord Jesus. Again, Lord Jesus Christ is in charge. He's the master. His name, Jesus, means God alone saves. So I have to really believe that and confess it. Verse number 10 for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I had the opportunity to sit down with a, a sister of one of the members of our church three weeks ago. And we sat down and I said, has there been a time in your life where you were born again? And she said, yes. I said, tell me when that was. So oh, I think it was like 20 years or so ago. Okay, tell me what happened. And here's the thing, if people aren't willing to share with you their salvation testimony, we should automatically be suspect. Greatest day of my life when Jesus took my burden away. You want to hear about it? How long do you have? Like, I'll I'll block off the next eight hours if you want to hear about my story because Jesus is that good. And so she said, I said, tell me about what happened when you were born again. And she said, well, I I mean, I, I did what you're supposed to do. Okay, tell me, tell me what you're supposed to do. And she said, well... You know, I went down at the, at the front of the church service at the end, okay? And she said, and the pastor there prayed a prayer over me, okay? What else? Well, that was it, right? Let's take a look at what the Bible has to say. So we went to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Has there been a time in your life where you confessed with your own mouth, not someone praying a prayer for you, but confess with your own mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And she was just like, I don't really know for sure. I'm really uncertain. You know, if going forward to the church service and having a pastor pray over you wasn't being saved, I don't really know what that means. And so I said, I'm going to make it really easy for you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that he's the only way to heaven? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the, the cross to pay for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that he rose again the third day of his own power? Yes. Are you willing today to confess all of your sin to Jesus and turn from it and follow Jesus with your life? And she said, yes. Okay. If you really believe that in your heart and you've just confessed that with your mouth, now you've been saved. Now you've been born again. Not because of the words that I said, but because of the belief in your heart and the confession with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And praise God, that day she got saved. Not because some pastor sat down with her and and prayed a prayer or asked questions, but because she truly believed and she truly received. It requires action on your part. And so again, I want to dig and find out, has there been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior, or did you just have a religious experience? There's a difference. 
one of the men in our church uh, came to a, a men's uh, leadership night that we had. We were talking in the lobby after the service and I asked him, have you been saved or born again? He goes, no. Uh, no, he said, I think so. I said, tell me about what happened. And the same thing. Went forward to the church service and the pastor prayed a prayer over me and I cried like a baby. Okay? So that's how I know that I'm saved. Because you cried? Yeah, I mean, it was one of the most emotional experiences of my life. Well, let's take a look at what the Bible has to say. Because again, and again, I'm not trying to, to say anything negative about any other types of churches or things like that, but when emotion and hype becomes the, the rabbit that we're chasing, we're chasing the wrong rabbit. I don't want you to feel something. I'm not trying to make you cry. I'm trying to ask you to submit to the authority of Lord Jesus and confess your sin before him. And if that makes you cry, I'm happy for you. If that gives you a sense of relief, I'm thankful for that, but we're not really trying to attach emotions and feelings to this. But so many times there are churches, and this is especially popular in American churches today, where we wanna create an environment for a feeling. We wanna turn the lights down really low. We wanna put, have somebody play in a, a song really slowly and, and, and on the keys and uh, making you feel something. We wanna put just enough smoke in the room to make it feel like the Holy Spirit's sitting next to you. And it's just like, what? We're not trying to create an environment for emotion. We're trying to create an environment for truth. It's a big difference there. And so salvation requires faith and repentance. So again, we have to ask the question, and again, if someone's struggling with that, I'm not sure if I'm saved or not. Who or what are you trusting in for the payment of your sins and eternal life? If God's gonna stand at the gate and ask you the question, why should I let you into heaven, what's the answer? Now again, that's not really gonna happen, but if it did happen, what would happen? Because when you get to heaven, the Bible says that God's got a book and your name's either there or it's not. And those whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire for eternity. This is the second death. That's Revelation chapter 20. Your name's not in the book of life. You're out. God's not going to sit and, and hear you wax eloquent about why you should be led into heaven. But you need to understand what makes you think you're going to get to heaven. Well, I try to be a good person. Okay, that's got another conversation that we'll have. Well, I've been baptized. Okay, that's another conversation that we can have. Well, my, my, my parents were really fit, strong in their faith. Different conversation. Why do you get to go to heaven? And again, there's only one possible answer for that. I don't deserve to go to heaven, but Jesus has paid the penalty for me and allowed me by his grace to go to heaven. Only acceptable answer that there is. But if someone's trusting in their good works or their church to get them to heaven, or I've been baptized, or I've been catechized, or I've kept the sacraments, or I've done all these good works to get to heaven. Friend, you have not done enough because you can't do enough to get to heaven. And so again, the question is, what are you trusting in? If you know for sure when you die you're going to heaven, what's gonna get you there? If you're 90% sure you're going to heaven, what's causing the 10% of doubt? Because, again, salvation is available through Jesus alone. No other way. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. <laughs> if you want to have, I don't want to say fun, but if you want to study further, 
write out in the, the margin of your notes here, Unitarianism. Basically, the idea is that you can call God whatever you want, whether you call him God, whether you call him Allah, it's the same guy, and we're all eventually going to the same place. You might get there through, you know, worshiping the sun gods. I might get there through worshiping Greek gods. Other people might worship God or Allah, but we're all going the same place, and Jesus is one of the many paths to heaven. That's super problematic, because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And if again, turn over to John 14, 6 in your, in your Bible. Circle, star, underline that verse because it's critical. Well, I believe that there's many paths to heaven. Then you disagree with Jesus himself. You disagree with God himself. Because Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the only way to the Father. And so, again, if you believe there's another way other than Jesus, you disagree with Jesus. That's problematic. So salvation is available through Jesus Christ alone. Salvation is available through faith alone. Now, again, we're not Protestants, but during the Protestant Reformation, the, uh, those who were part of the Protestant Reformation came up with five solas. And so again, if you want to do some deep dive research, write on the, the, the side of your notes, five solas, S-O-L-A-S. Basically, it's Latin, meaning the word sola means alone. So there's five solas in Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, to the glory of God alone, through the scriptures alone. And so basically it was a massive takedown of Catholicism to say that we're not doing things by our works anymore, we're not doing things by decree anymore, we're not doing things by councils or by the the edict that comes from a pope, we're doing things by the scripture alone, salvation available through Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. Really good outlines. Again, we're not Protestants, but I respect, massive amount of respect for the framework that they used uh, to bring about change, which is super helpful. If you want to know why we're not Protestants, I got a whole other conversation for you. It's good, too. Um, But again, the idea that there's another way to heaven other than Jesus disagrees with Scripture. Available through faith alone. Turn to Galatians chapter 2 in your Bible. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified. That word justified means to be declared righteous in in a legal sense by God. We might be justified by the faith of Christ. And not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is there for the Christ minister of sin? God forbid. So again, we see here that Paul says to the churches at Galatia, hey guys, we're not declared righteous by the works which we've done. We're declared righteous by faith in Jesus alone. So this is really important when people say, well, I've been baptized and that punched my ticket to heaven. No, it didn't. 
You're not justified or declared righteous by any works which we have done. So again, if you, if you study Catholicism, Catholicism would say that the first sacrament is the sacrament of baptism, and that sacrament is what gives you God's grace. God's grace is available through baptism through the church, the Catholic church. And so the Catholic church is the only source of salvation because they hold the keys to baptism. So you want to go to heaven, you got to go through the Catholic church to get there. No, no, no. Paul says that we don't get justified or declared righteous by any works of the law or any works of the flesh. We're justified by faith in the work of Jesus Christ alone, where salvation is available through grace alone. Turn a few pages over to the right in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You've got to circle these. You've got to star them. You've got to underline them. You've got to commit these verses to memory. These are critical for anyone who tries to add works to the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So here we see the grace of God alone. I, and, I, and sometimes I'll use this illustration to explain to people a gift. Uh, this amazing pocket knife that uh, a, gr- a good friend gave me. It's uh, carbon fiber here. It's got Damascus steel, flips out really quick. Awesome knife. If I say, I'm going to give this to JJ as a gift, but I need JJ to come over and wash my car once a week, otherwise I'm going to take it away. Not really a gift anymore because he's doing something to earn it. I'm going to give this to JJ as a gift, but I need to make sure that he attends church every Sunday. He's got it the first Sunday of the year. He's got 51 more to go, and if he fails, he's got to give it back. Now it's no longer a gift. It's a reward for his good behavior. But if I give this to JJ and say, it's yours, no strings attached, do with it what you want, but I'm giving it to you because I love you and I am gracious, then it becomes a gift, and you can do whatever you want to do with a gift. But the moment we add conditions to this, hey, JJ, I'm going to give you this, but I need you to get baptized to hang on to it. Well, now he's having to do some religious act to receive it, and it's not really a gift, is it? It's a reward with strings attached. And so it's not by works which we've done. It's by faith alone and Christ alone, by God's grace alone. Now, Here's an important thing, again, when it comes to giving people assurance of their salvation and knowing for sure that you're saved. Authentic salvation should provide evidence of genuine conversion. And this is where people get hung up sometimes on this. Look, if you've truly been saved, your life will show it. There'll be evidence. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 17. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Get this, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. The idea is this, if you've been truly born again, your life will bring forth good fruit. While you might, from time to time, sin, and you will, 
you're not going to be continually, week after week, month after month, year after year, bringing forth corrupt fruit again and again and again. Look, you got a, a good tree that brings forth a bad apple, you'll be like, ah, that's a bummer. We're going to toss that one. But you got a tree that only produces corrupt fruit. We're not going to say that this is a good tree to hang on to, are we? So there has to be genuine change. Look, when we look at the New Testament, there's never a sinner's prayer that someone prays. The evidence of salvation comes from a changed life. How do we really know that the Apostle Paul, who at one point was killing Christians, how do we know this dude really got saved? Well, obviously, he went from being an enemy of the church to being a proliferator of church, a church planter, if you will. He gave his life for the sake of the gospel. When faced with imprisonment, what did he do? He kept on preaching. When they said, hey, Paul, you can't really go to Rome because you're probably going to be arrested, Paul's like, oh, no, no, i got to go to Rome. He wasn't afraid of persecution because why? His life had changed. The Philippian jailer, how do we know that guy really got saved? Because he went home and shared the gospel with his family. They got saved, and then all of them got baptized together. There's a change. Authentic salvation will bring about genuine conversion. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Old man dead, new man alive. Now, it's important to understand. This is, this is really important for you to get, okay? Evidence is not the same thing as proof, and people get tripped up when they think that it is. Well, I, I thought I got saved, but, you know, I'm continuing to, to mess around with my old sin that I used to. I'm probably not saved. That's just proof that I'm not saved. Evidence and proof are two different things that I'm getting ready to explain to you, Okay? If I go to your refrigerator in your home and I open up the door to your refrigerator and inside your refrigerator is a bottle of Kirkland brand water, there is evidence that someone in your household has gone to Costco and purchased a case of water. There's evidence of that, okay? Not proof, but evidence. It looks to me like somebody's gone to Costco and bought a case of water. Why? Because they don't sell a single thing of water on your way out of the checkout. You have to buy a case. And so there's evidence that someone's bought a case. Is that proof that you've done it? No, because you know and I know that there's mom and pop shops in town that if you buy a bottle of water from them, they're going to sell you a bottle of Kirkland water, right? So there's evidence there, not necessarily proof. However, if I find in your wallet a receipt from Costco with a case of water on your receipt, now I have proof that your credit card was used at this time with your membership number to buy a case of water. See the difference between proof and evidence? There should be evidence that you're saved. There is no proof. The only people that know whether or not you're saved is you and God. That's it. But I should be able to see evidence of salvation. I should be able to see fruit in your life. I should be able to see real change in your life. I was so thankful I spent time with uh, one of the growing godly men in our church yesterday that was just a huge encouragement to me. And here's the question that he asked me. Pastor, do you see the fruit of the Spirit at work in my life? And just you asking that question says to me, if not, I want to change. I want to be a godly man. I want to grow. I want people to visibly be able to see Jesus at work in my life. 
a hunger and desire for spiritual things is evidence of true conversion. I want to hear preaching. I want to be in the Word. I want to be around Christians. I want Christian fellowship. I want to worship God. I mean, there's some folks that I talked to that are here on vacation that came to church on a Sunday night. That's evidence that God's doing something in your life when you say, I'm on vacation, but it's a Sunday, but I got to be in God's house. That's evidence. Now, again, the evidence isn't proof. I shared this a few weeks ago. There's a, a guy who came here to church with his family. He had on a Christian T-shirt, and he used a lot of Christianese when we talked. And I said, hey, how was your week? Oh, man, I'm blessed and highly favored. And, um, you know, and he said, uh, my, my wife's name, her middle name is Esther, and she came into my life for such a time as this. And it's just like, okay. And so, and, and no lie. So, again, he's talking a lot of Christianese, and I'm picking up some evidence that he's been in church, right? Been in church been around Christians. But then when it got down to it, I said, hey, tell me when you got saved. He said, well, I can tell you when I got baptized. And I smiled and I go, now you know enough to know that wasn't the question that I asked. He goes, yeah, I don't really have a good answer for that. But I can tell you when I got baptized, I said, man, I don't care when you got baptized. I need to know when you got born again. I don't know that I have. So he and I sat, and we went through the gospel, and he's crying. And um, I asked him, went through the gospel, do you believe these things? Yes. Are you willing to commit your life to following Jesus? Yes. And he cried. And afterwards, you know, he said, thank you. And he said, said a prayer afterwards. And again, I'm being very vague here because I don't know that he was truly born again at that moment. I don't know. Only the Lord knows. But he prayed a prayer of faith and repentance. And he went to his wife and said, sweetheart, I got saved. And she goes, that's great. I was just like, that's kind of a strange response. And so I asked her, hey, have you been saved? And she was like, yeah, I got saved. And she began to tell me about her, her walk with God and uh, things like that. And she was just like, yeah, that's, that's good. And he's like, I want to be in a small group. And, and pastor, I want you to help me. And I want you to disciple me. And I want you to help me fix my marriage. And I want to be a better dad. And uh, Dude, I have all the tools ready to help you to be what you need to be. All I need you to do is show up and do the work. Oh, I, I do, I want to do it. And he's crying with his wife. I'm sorry that I failed you. I let you down and I'm going to be a better man. This is a change in my life. Dude walked out. I was super pumped for him. His coworker invited him to church and told his coworker about it. Super pumped. I really think the FBI couldn't find the guy. Like I think we're going to see like a milk carton with the guy's picture on it at some point because he's nowhere to be found. Was there genuine conversion there? I don't really know. The Lord knows, though. I can tell you this. I didn't see a change in his life. I reached out to him for, man, six, eight weeks. And again, if you looked at my phone, it's all one-sided conversation. No response back. And then finally, it was just like, hey, thanks for reaching out. I think we're going to move to the mainland. And that was the end of it. Hey, man, keep me posted. Let me know where you're going. I can get you plugged into a good church there. You need discipleship. You need to grow. You need to learn your faith. You need to be committed to your faith. You need to have somebody walk with you through this. Silence. Was there genuine conversion? I don't know, but I can just say from the evidence that I saw, I don't know that there was. I haven't seen any fruit yet come from that. Now, again, not judging whether or not the guy saved or not. I'm saying I'm just looking at the evidence and trying to come to a good conclusion. Now, when it comes down to salvation, this is where a lot of people get hung up to. This is the final thought here tonight. Salvation is not a feeling, but a relationship. Oh, pastor, I just don't feel saved. 
my response to that is always this. And again, my wife has told me it's a smart aleck response, and I shouldn't say it, but I, but I say it. What does being saved feel like? It's a valid question, right? I, I just don't feel safe. What does being saved feel like? And generally, it's like, oh, you know, I get this warm tingling in my, my chest. Man, you might ought to get that checked out. I don't know that... <laughs> I don't know that that's good. Oh, when we sing Amazing Grace, I just get like chicken skin and, and like, I don't, I don't feel that anymore. Okay, so probably not saved, am I? What? Again, let's go back to the Bible. Point me to a place in the Bible where emotion is connected with salvation. You just can't. Now, does it bring about emotion? Sometimes. I've been with people who have cried when they confessed their sin and got saved. I've been with people who laughed when they got saved. I've been with people who say, man, such a burden lifted. I feel like the weight of the world is lifted off my shoulders. And I've been with people before who they say, did that work? Am I supposed to feel something? And so where is the truth? the truth always lies in Scripture. Have you confessed your faith in Christ alone as Savior? Have you repented of your sins, real repentance? Are you willing to follow after Jesus with every fiber of your being for the rest of your life? If the answer to that is yes, then according to the Bible, you are saved. Your feelings may or may not catch up at some point. Now you just need to walk according to what the scriptures say you should do with your life. Now that you're a son, now that you're a daughter, you need to learn what it means to be an obedient son or daughter that brings your father glory. But feelings, I don't really know where that goes. I don't know what being saved is supposed to feel like. Jesus says in John chapter 1, verse number 12, John says this about Jesus, but as many as received him gave him power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Well, I don't really know what you're supposed to feel like, but I can tell you what the Bible says. Those that believed on Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons and obviously the daughters of God. Well, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, the Bible says that you're the son of God. You're in, in God's family. You've been adopted into the family of God. If you've got your Bibles handy in the book of uh, Galatians chapter 4. Turn over to Galatians 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4. Let's back up to verse number three. It's good too. Galatians 4 3. Even so, when we, even so, we, when we were the children in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them which were under the law, that we might receive, get this, the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit, capital S Spirit, Holy Spirit, of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The word Abba means Daddy. It's a, it's a 
familial term for father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I don't know what you're supposed to feel like, but I know if you put your faith in Jesus and repented of your sin, you're a child of God. That much I know. Well, I don't feel like it. Maybe you should focus less on what you're feeling and more on who God says you are. Feelings change. I don't know about you guys, but like the change in weather makes me feel different things. Uh, No lie, I was sitting in the lobby today and I looked out the window and I saw like just a peak between two huge residential towers. I saw like rain clouds go by and I thought, ooh, I could totally use some coffee right now. (laughs) Like I saw rain clouds and I thought, oh, I've got to drink coffee because it's going to rain. Like that's how fickle my emotions are. Am I really going to hang my eternal security on how I feel today? It changes minute to minute based on the weather. So I have to trust in something greater than my feelings. I have to trust in the word of God. So again, when people say, I'm not sure that I'm saved, have you repented of your sins and put your full faith and assurance in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If the answer to that is yes, I don't really have anything else for you. Again, we can look at scripture. Are you trusting God by faith alone? Are you trusting in the grace of God alone? Are you trusting in Jesus alone to save you? Has there been a time in your life where you have confessed your sin before God? Now, again, sometimes people say, "Mm, I'm not really sure. I was four years old, and my mom told me that I got saved. I think you should do it for your big boy self. Because, again, if God did ask you the question in heaven, you can't say, like, is my mom in there? Can she come out and talk to you? Because I don't really remember what happened. Could you get my mom? (laughs) Well, I remember vacation Bible school, something happened, a bunch of us kids went out and we got baptized the next Sunday. Oh, I wouldn't hang my eternal security on that for sure. I want to know for sure that I'm born again. And here's, here's the awesome part about this. There's no shame in saying, I thought I was saved, but I'm really not, but I'm totally saved now. No shame in that. That happens all the time. Hey, I'm tired. Here, here's what people have said before. This happened with a couple of ladies in our church, man. They got a phenomenal testimony. You want to talk to them, talk to them. I'm tired of pretending like I was been saved my whole life. But if I come out and say that I'm saved, people are like, I, already, I thought you were already saved. That's kind of weird. But you know, if it's weird, it's weird for like 30 seconds and nobody gives it a second thought. Hey, I'm glad you got that settled. I'm glad that you're saved. Hey, let's get baptized now, like for real, for real. And so let's do things the right way. You should have assurance of your salvation. Hey, if you died today, are you sure you're going to heaven? 100% sure. More sure of anything than I've ever been in my entire life. Well, how do you know? Because Jesus Christ has paid the penalty of my sin and my faith and trust is in him and him alone. And when I get to see him face to face, what a day that's going to be. That's why, again, because we have assurance of our salvation, because we are so certain that Jesus Christ has paid the debt for our sin, we can sing songs like, it is well. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials may come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his blood for my soul. Man, with, with assurance like that, man, I can sing songs like that. Or here's the, the best part. With assurance like that and hope like that, I can't even make it through that verse without getting a little choked up. 
and thinking that my Savior shed his precious blood for my sin. That's what assurance gives you, man. That's good. You might be here tonight and you're like, I don't know that I have that level of assurance. Great. Let me help you tonight. Put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Stop trying to play religious games. Stop trying to skip from church to church. Stop trying to absolve your own guilt. Put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, and he'll take the burden and he'll take it the rest of the way. But for those of us that are saved, man, let's walk in that power and hope that comes from knowing for sure that Jesus Christ is our Savior this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.